Well, I'd like to thank James and Mark for preaching the last two weeks. I especially appreciate Mark pushing through what he called that battle with the parking lot, and he pressed on and gave us a word. I appreciate both of their sermons, not only for the, the word that I heard, but also for the time it allowed me for my studies. And the elders have graciously given me one Sunday off a month to really focus on this program that I'm going through. It's a program that I, I pray is blessing the church already, but uh, I would ask you to join me in this prayer as I go through my readings and my interactions with the professors and my fellow ministers who are going through this program that God would, would bless this church through doors that He's opening um, again, my thanks to the elders and James and Mark and others who will preach from time to time. This morning, as mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about the kingdom. Because we're coming to that line in the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come. Uh, we're working through uh, this series on the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught His disciples. Uh, really is a reflection of the song we just sang. Uh, our time devoted to prayer within the context of worship. So, as you may recall, this year we are going through uh, the four statements of our mission here at Brentwood Oaks, and we're going to spend the first quarter on worshiping God and what all that means and entails. Uh, we want to get these, these missions, these statements in the front of the church. We want it to be fresh in our vision, in our hearing, in our thinking, in our doing. And when you think about worshiping God, that really does serve as the umbrella for almost everything we do. It should be everything that we do. Uh, the lives that we live, our conduct is all an act of worship. And primary in our act of worshiping God is prayer. And so we're going to spend, uh, we have spent and are going to spend some time thinking about prayer, thinking about this prayer that Jesus taught His disciples, the Lord's Prayer, which really serves as a model for us in how we set our priorities in prayer. When we go to our Father in heaven, what's on our mind? Well, first, it's about God, God's kingdom, God's mission, God's purposes. The, the hallowing of His name that we join in as God gathers the lost sheep back into the flock. But this morning, we're going to the third petition, Thy kingdom come. What does that mean? What is the kingdom? What does it mean for the kingdom to come? What are we praying about when we lift up that particular petition? Well, if you want to know about the kingdom and what the kingdom is, the best place to go is to the preaching of Jesus. When you work through all of the different parables and teachings and miracles of Jesus... The theme that dominates all of those teachings of Jesus is the kingdom. It's what he launched in his initial ministry, the announcement of the kingdom. It's what he sent his disciples out to proclaim. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. And this morning, in thinking about the kingdom, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13... Matthew 13 is the collection of kingdom parables. So Matthew 13 is where we find the parable of the sower and the parable of the mustard seed. 
The parable of the pearl, pearl of great value. I practice saying that. The pearl of great value. Uh, the parable of the net. But this morning, we're going to look closely at the parable of the wheat and the weeds, beginning in verse 24. So again, Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. I'm going to skip the middle part with those two other parables and go straight to the interpretation after I read the opening. Matthew, 20, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. Hear the word of God. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you also root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Skip on down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears... Let them hear. May God bless the reading of His Word. So, not last week, but the week before, was pretty rough here in Austin, Texas. We had one of these uh, once-in-a-generation ice storms. It seemed like not too long ago we had another one. We were out of power for about 12 hours, which really pales in comparison to some. I found out that there was a family in this church who was out of power for over 100 hours. It's quite the storm. But on Wednesday morning of last week, like a lot of you, I was, well, I got to be stuck at the house. And I was sitting on my couch, and I looked out of our window, and we have a fence that goes to our our neighbor's house, and there, 
three or four feet away from me on the other side of the window was this little bird. And his uh, feathers had really fluffed out there in the cold. It was sub-zero or sub-freezing temperature, I should say. And I really felt sorry for this little bird. And then I thought, this bird is going to freeze right in front of me. This bird is going to fall off the fence. But then I was asking myself some questions. Well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go out and get this little bird and bring him into the house and let him thaw out and then send him back into the freezing weather? Will I let the bird freeze and just sit there and let nature take its course? There was another option on the table, which I won't mention here in the pulpit. But then I took a second look at this little bird, and I noticed he didn't seem to be too bothered by the cold, even though it was about 30 degrees outside. In fact, he looked as if he didn't have a care in the world, almost like he was mocking me. I was sitting there eating, drinking my coffee, and he was just chirping away. One might even say that he didn't get the memo that we had one of the worst ice storms we've had in a long time. And that little bird reminded me of a poem that I've shared before. I've shared it here. I actually shared it with the Brentwood Christian School teachers a little earlier in the year. But when I think about the mission of God, when I think about the kingdom and kingdom purposes, I really can't find a better image than a little bird in Thomas Hardy's poem, The Darkling Thrush. Now, there's a story in this. I'm not going to read the whole poem. But it's the poet who goes out on a wintry day. It's freezing outside. And he does this survey of the landscape. And he, he sees how cold it is. Everywhere he looks, it is cold. It is barren. Uh, the grass, the trees, it's all dead. Uh, he looks at the, the skies. It's overcast. It's gloomy. He's a poet, so he calls the landscape a, cor- a corpse. And the wind he calls a death lament. Now, if it were just me, I'd go outside and say, Wow, it's cold in here, out here, and I'm going to go back in. But he's a poet. But there in the gloom, a sound breaks out. It's a song from a little thrush. Well, here's the last two stanzas of the poem. At once a voice arose among the bleak twigs overhead in full-hearted even song of joy illimited. An aged thrush, frail, gaunt and small, in blast-beruffled plume, had chosen thus to fling his soul upon the growing gloom. So little cause for carolings of such ecstatic sound was written on terrestrial things afar or nigh around, that I could think there trembled through his happy goodnight air some blessed hope. Whereof he knew, and I was unaware. I'll repeat that last line. The little thrush sang a song of some blessed hope, whereof he knew, and I was unaware. Hold that thought. In Matthew 13, verses 24 through 43, Jesus gives both the content and the interpretation of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. A parable that begins with that line, the kingdom of heaven is like, 
And if you read the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, and then you read about the kingdom of God in Mark and in Luke, those are synonymous terms. But I engaged with an author this week in reading about this parable, and the author brought up a good point. What question is Jesus seeking to answer with this parable? Well, the crowds there and the disciples probably had a question. Jesus makes this great announcement that the kingdom of heaven is near, it's at hand, it is coming, get ready. And I think if I were part of the crowd, I would wonder, well, what is the kingdom like? What are all the little details? But as the parable unfolds, I wonder if Jesus has a different audience in mind. I wonder if Jesus is actually talking past those crowds, talking past those disciples right there in front of him, and really speaking to a group of Christians a few generations down the road, uh, the generations of Christians, the second and third generation that would receive the gospel of Matthew. I think those Christians had a different question on their minds. Uh, These Christians would have been around the block for a time. They would have seen the kingdom spreading with the events that we read in the book of Acts. They also would have seen opposition to the kingdom rise up. These Christians would have witnessed the powerful missionary journeys of Peter and especially Paul going out to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the good news to the Gentiles. But they also would have witnessed many of these leaders' martyrdom. And the question that was probably burning on their minds is a question about their confession. Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is King, if His kingdom has come, and we've read about all these prophecies in the ancient scriptures about the new age and the day of the Lord, why is there still evil present? And not only is evil still here, it looks like evil has the upper hand. How can evil and the kingdom of heaven coexist? That's not the way the story is supposed to go, according to scriptures, according to the bedtime stories that my mother and my father told me. I think that was the question burning on the hearts of those second and third generation Christians who received the gospel of Matthew. But as I look around here this morning, here at Brentwood Oaks, as I think about our brothers and sisters there at home worshiping, I wonder if you have the same question in your heart this morning. So Wednesday evening, we were privileged to witness a baptism, and we heard Pasha give the good confession in Russian of the Lordship of Jesus. It was one of the most beautiful confessions, one of the most beautiful baptisms that I've ever witnessed. But as baptized believers, we hold to that confession. We know who is king. We know who's in charge. And yet we do our own survey of the landscape and we have questions. We all see it. Evil runs amok in this world. We live in a world where good is called evil and evil is called good. And the powers and the rulers and the authorities applaud it. We see this in the fallenness of this world. 
Our screens, our televisions are filled with news of wars and rumors of wars. We see it in the fallenness of creation, the devastating earthquake in Syria and Turkey, floods, droughts, ice storms in Texas, forest fires in California. And as we have heard news this week, we see it in our own personal tragedies, in our trials, in our struggles of various kinds. And we wonder, maybe even out loud, is God really in charge of things? Has the kingdom of heaven really come? Well, this is really where the parable of the wheat and the weeds comes to life and has a word for us as we think about the kingdom. As Jesus is not only talking to those crowds, he's not only talking to the disciples in that that area, he's talking to the generations that follow. And in this parable, Jesus clears up some confusion about the age to come. Confusion that comes from the Old Testament vision of the coming of the Messiah. And this is going to get a bit technical, but I have a few slides to share. Uh, Gary Burge was very helpful to me. He's uh, the author of the books, the, the New Testament and Seven Sentences, which I found to be very helpful in helping my thinking in the last few years. But here's a vision of the Old Testament view of the coming of the end of the age. If we can show that slide. So if you take a look, we have this world where we reside, and then you have the world to come, and they are separate. And then there's this moment in between with the coming of the Anointed One, the coming of the Messiah, who would usher in the world to come immediately, all at once. We hear this in different parts of Scripture, in the prophet Isaiah. We even hear this in the New Testament with some of the misunderstanding. Uh, I think about Martha as she was crying out to Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, and she started to catalog, well, we know the dead are going to be raised at the end. This was a time when Jerusalem would be restored, when the nations would be gathered to Jerusalem to worship and to bring their tribute and to learn the ways of God. Uh, This explains that question that the disciples had at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 6, when they asked Jesus just before he ascends, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it time, Lord? You've just been resurrected from the dead. Is it time for the restoration to take place? And Jesus says, no. That's for the Father to know. Go and be my witnesses. You are my witnesses to the end of the earth. Jesus brings in a different view of the kingdom as we see in this slide and as we read about in the parable that the kingdom of God is more like an invasion. It's the inaugurated kingdom of Jesus. This is the way that I am reading the story from Genesis to Revelation. The world to come has broken into the present through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. New creation has begun at the empty tomb. And as the church, we live in that intersection between the world that is to come and the world that is here. 
This is really where those agricultural parables in Matthew chapter 13 come to life, especially the parable of the wheat and the weeds. The parable that answers that question that's burning on those hearts of those second generation and third generation Christians. How can evil coexist with the kingdom of God? But in reality, the wheat and the weeds are allowed to grow together. In the field of the world, the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one share space together. That is where we reside. It is Martin Luther's A Mighty Fortress. We live in a clash of kingdoms and there is overlap between the two. There is a tension that is until the harvest, the great harvest that is to come When the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of the Lord and His Christ, as the Hallelujah Chorus says, quoting Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. There will be a time of the new heavens and the new earth when the age to come will, in a decisive way, overcome this world. Now, how all this plays out, it's mysterious. It's hotly debated. It's another sermon for another day. The kingdom that is to come in all of its fullness and glory. But before the new heavens and the new earth, we have work to do. We live in the in-between times. We live between the kingdom that has come in Jesus and the kingdom that is coming in its fullness one day. Another way to state it, something has already started And one day, it will be completed. So as we close this morning, what are we saying whenever we we lift up the prayer that our Lord taught us to pray? When we say that line, Thy kingdom come. What are we asking God to do? Well, in a similar way to the hallowing of God's name, essentially we're asking God to continue His mission here in this world. As the light of His Son penetrates the darkness, we ask that the kingdom that has come in Jesus Christ continues to spread, that more wheat will be produced in the fields as more and more people come under the reign of Christ, under His kingship. We join the early church praying, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. But even more than that, when we pray thy kingdom come, we're asking God to work in us and through us, the church, in spreading his kingdom purposes to the end of the earth. But in our little area, Breaker Lane, Palmer. Mopac, I-35, 183, our neighbor across the street, our co-worker who's working side by side with us, brothers and sisters, we have been given the mission of the kingdom to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, to proclaim that something new has happened. Something new has already started. Well, what does this look like? 
Well, I would suggest it looks like a little bird. A little thrush singing a song on a bitter cold day. We find ourselves, even in the midst of the good creation that Royce prayed about this morning, we find ourselves on a bleak winter day with an overcast gloomy sky. We live in a world that is filled with evil, fear, anger, division, confusion, injustice. And yet we take our stand on that little gate with a song of profound joy that fills our hearts. A new song that has come into this world, or to borrow from that poem we read earlier, a song of blessed hope of which the world is unaware. For some people, this song is repulsive. For others, it's contagious. That's what the church sings. Well, what are the notes of this song? What are the lyrics to this song that we sing? We'll talk about that next week when we talk about that phrase, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But this morning we come to a time of invitation, and it's an invitation for those who need to hear good news. The good news that through the gloom, a new day has dawned in Jesus Christ. This is the good news that we cling to as His people. This is the news that we announce to the world. If you would like to respond to the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.